My name is Carly and I am an entrepreneur. These are the real, raw, and honest stories of myself, my colleagues, and my dearest friends, how we followed our dreams and continue to scale the mountain of success every day. Learn what it takes to make the next step and join us on the climb. Get ready to pull up your boss straps because this is Bossy Clubs. listeners to know you because you're one of the most profound teachers that I've had in the last decade of my life and um, I'll probably share this over the episodes but just um, having gone through a lot of personal trauma in the last five or six years you have been an incredible resource for me and someone that I consider in my my circle of, mm-hmm. of health and wellness professionals and trauma care professionals so um you just have a wealth of knowledge and I am so thankful that we get to share you so I want you to tell the listeners about you and your work maybe a little background if you're comfortable of course so I am first and foremost I think the thing I was born to be above any other thing is a mom Mm -hmm. I've been married to my husband for 42 years I've known him since I was six years old and um, we have been everywhere there is to go in a relationship mm-hmm. to the depths of hell and to to where we are today, which is very emotionally healthy and connected. And, um, and that's nothing short of a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two children. Our son, Josh, is 41. I'm 62. And that's much easier <laughs> for me like to wrap my head around. You look like you're 20. It's really... <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I can wrap my head around being 62 much more readily than I can wrap my head around a 41-year-old son. <laughs> but I have one, and he has um, a beautiful, his name is Josh, uh, has a beautiful wife named Stacy, and they have two little ones, a three-year-old and an almost two-year-old, oh my gosh. Turner and Ellis, our so grandsons, cute. and they're about to deliver their third child no way in just a few weeks no idea my daughter-in-law is a superhero and I don't mean that lightly I've never seen uh, she can do more in a day than anyone I've ever seen in my life and she she was she was designed to be able to have three babies three and under (laughs) not that she's not tired right now Um, but she is uh, she's they're both amazing parents and these boys are so precious and then my daughter is 38 and her I always have to think she's getting close to 39 this year and um, her name is Lindsay and her husband Chad they have two girls my oldest grandchildren Dylan is 11 I cannot believe I met her when she was one yes and (laughs) Harlow is eight and they live nearby Uh, Josh and Stacy live out in the desert area but they're moving back next year they're building a home out in Tustin so you almost have to build a home for three three kids anymore to have that enough room for them to grow and, and yeah. live out their lives. So that's me in a nutshell. But my work, um, I came to really organically. I've been a counselor my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off with my husband counseling teenagers early in our marriage. And even before I became a mom, I was barely out of being a teenager myself. Mm-hmm. And... 
And then my husband's a recovering addict, and so we both worked in the field of addiction treatment for a combined 25 years. And um, so I was a, a drug and alcohol counselor, and I also was an administrator. I ran a lot of treatment programs and administrated and did some marketing as well in that field. Still very connected to that field. Um, a lot of my dearest friends are there. And there is where I learned what I know about trauma. Every program I worked for had a specialty in trauma. And I had the privilege of sitting at the feet of some of the most profoundly gifted trauma therapists in the mm. country. And um, I was a sponge. I'm a learner. I'm a grower. I love these leaves <laughs> because I just, I've always thought of myself that way. That I'm, I'm, I plan to live to 110 a very healthy 110 and then just fall asleep one night and not wake up <laughs> and still driving. And, um, I hope I'm still learning things on my last day on this planet. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's been a day of my life that I haven't learned something or, um, one of the things too, that's important to me is that I don't ever, I think everyone's my teacher, mm -hmm. even the most challenging person, person I might encounter for just a moment has something to teach me and so I have friends of every age I consider you one of my friends and you're <laughs> easily much younger even than my daughter and um, I have friends even younger than you and I have friends twice my age or not quite twice but older than I am and yeah exactly I don't have anybody that age yet but I want to find someone like that to <laughs> hang out with um, but I do I have I have friends of every age and I've never let age define whether or not someone could be my friend or that I could learn from them and um, I really don't see age when I'm choosing the spirit of someone to spend time with so I'm, I'm blessed that I get to do that and people are willing to have an old lady in their life in the same way um, they keep me young um, I found myself in many times working in fields where almost everyone I worked with was younger than I and I'm always the mama in the room I'm everybody's mom <laughs> you are and I'm good with that too um I just got personalized license plate for my car today called Ma that says Mama Beach. Which really? Is my oh, now <laughs> I'll be able to so see it. I'm so excited right now <laughs> about that. So, um, but yeah, that's that's the overview. So, having, I, I think one of the most important stories I'd want to tell is that five years ago, my husband and I, at the ages of fifty-seven and sixty-one, found ourselves both unemployed. And in the state of California, that's scary. Yes. And it was through no real fault of our own, um, for the most part. Um, it was just where we landed. Mm -hmm. And it was scary. And I had been mentoring a young woman um, through, for several years, actually, through a, a toxic relationship that she eventually left. And then through a job change. And I had just, she had just started her new job. And on the way home, she called me, and she's just rattling off everything about her first day. She was just so excited. And before mm -hmm. she even took a breath at the end, she said, and now that we figured out what I'm going to do, we need to figure out what you're going to do because I think I know what you need to do. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? And she said, I don't know why you don't do this for a living. Hmm. I could not have gotten through the last three years of my life without you, and I don't know why I've not been writing you checks for this. Why have you not been doing this as your career? Hmm. And when she said it, it washed over me as truth. Hmm. And my thought, literally, I don't know what she said after that because my brain went to, God, could I really? Like, could I? Because mm -hmm. all I'd have to do to do that is just wake up. Mm -hmm. 
because this is a giftedness that I was given to him by God. I was, it was nurtured in me by my incredibly wise mother who was my predecessor. She was everything I described myself as. That was who she was, and that's how I learned it. She taught me at a very young age to trust my gut, and mm-hmm. we socialize that out of children yes. all the time. And she didn't. She always told me, sit still and listen. The voice will come. You will know what to do. And I never questioned it. And that was something I had to learn how to really refine because I am incredibly intuitive and I see things. And without maturity, I lost a lot of friends because I was so quick to judge because I saw everything Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the grace and the compassion Mm -hmm. to filter that and let people be in their journey. I wanted to fix everyone. And I'm at eight on the Enneagram, so that also is part of it. (laughs) Um, But in maturity, I learned how to use that as a superpower. Hmm. And and that's what gifted me to do what I'm doing. And so I had had friends, therapist friends, who had been begging me, just go do this. Quit telling yourself you can't. Hmm. And that was the permission I needed. And... Those people came around me and helped me launch my private practice, and I've been in private practice for five years now. And at the end of this decade, I sat down for a minute on New Year's Eve and realized we came into this decade having lost two very important people to us, two tragic deaths, Hmm. grieving. My husband was in the midst of a relapse after 20-something years of sobriety, and I didn't know it yet. It was the worst time of our lives. The first five years of this decade, I went through my husband being arrested and going to treatment and mm-hmm. getting sober and then having to learn how to live sober. And that took some time, going through some more really challenging times in our relationship. Because of it, I was we both lost jobs before five years ago there was a company we both worked for that closed their doors Mm. Um, a month after I was the first to lose my job in that scenario and a month later I was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm. and then they closed their doors three months after that and fortunately he had another job waiting for him at that time Mm. Um, but the first five years of this decade were literally probably the worst five years of our lives and the last five years have been the best Hmm. And, I, and I mean, we're talking January 1, <laughs> five years ago, I started my private Just practice. Switched. So we're talking, ex- we had a delineated yeah. marker point at the halfway point of the decade wow. that d- divided literally the worst of times and the best of times for us. So I'm in really sweet gratitude for 2020 and this coming decade. I already... There's just some really awesome things happening right now, mm. um, unfolding that are dreams come true for us. That the, they're the beginnings of dreams that we've been putting out there and hoping and wishing for, and they're um, coming together without us really. We've just invited it in, yeah, and they're coming, mm. and that's really fun. We're really enjoying our relationship with each other on a new level, and. Um, that's where we are and the work that I do with my clients is it started off um, I really wasn't sure what it was going to be and I had a coach not long ago say he was telling I was listening to him speak to potential coaches 
And he said, don't wait till you know what you're going to do. Just do it. Just go and do it. Because as you do it, you're going to figure out what your your niche is. And that's exactly what I had done. And I thought it was going to be one thing. And then it became clear really quickly it wasn't that. Then I thought it was going to be another thing. And then it became a thing. And in that, in the work I was doing with my clients, something revealed itself to me that has really come to form what I do. And Mm -hmm. that is that... um, there's a process called attachment theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a theory anymore. We know that, but that's how we still define it. And in the world of therapy, it's basically talked about in the extremes. We talk about it with adoptees. Um, the bond that's created between a parent and child at birth and even before birth, mm-hmm. it's even prenatal, um, and, and mm-hmm. truly um, even before that because there is a, there, there's such a thing as generational trauma. Mm-hmm. There's scientific evidence that the ancestors of Holocaust survivors have carried the trauma of their ancestors wow. in their DNA. And, um, and that's true of all of us. And when you consider that the egg that formed me was formed in my mother while she was still in her mother's womb, hmm. I was carried in my grandmother's womb. Hmm. Wow, I never thought about it. I just learned that a couple of years ago. Isn't that trippy? The egg that formed me was formed in my mother while she was in her mother's womb. So I was carried by my grandmother. We each were. So why wouldn't whatever she experienced Mm. and maybe what her mother experienced be carried in my DNA? Mm. And so what we've learned is, first of all, we now define trauma in early childhood development as anything less than nurturing. We have a certain, we were designed to have our emotional, physical, spiritual, mental needs met mm-hmm. by our primary caregivers. And without any fault of their own for the most part, because I believe everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got today. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about the work I do is we don't have to vilify anybody's parents to do it because my own story is a perfect example. My mom was depressed the first year of my life. Mm. I have no memory of my mother being depressed, Mm. Um, but my oldest brother does. And he was four. My other brother was two and a half, almost three, when I was born. And my mom's depressed. She can barely get out of bed every day. She's got two little boys, four years old and three years old, two and a half years old, that she's got to feed, take care of, entertain. Mm-hmm. She's got a baby that's nursing, needs diapers changed. There's no huggies back then. And she just didn't even want to get out of bed every day. Mm-hmm. So when she comes into my room in the morning and I'm standing up in my crib, I'm not getting little baby cuckoos you know I'm not getting oh baby girl I'm so what how are you this morning did you sleep good I'm not getting that I'm probably getting flat affect Mm. glazed over eyes complete exhaustion she may not have slept or she may have overslept but she's not present in her body she's not present emotionally Mm. she's sad and as an infant I don't see that and think oh what's wrong with mommy I think What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Why isn't she happy to see me? And that changes me. And so 
my propensity is toward what we call avoidant person. Uh, I'm sorry, avoidant um, attachment mm-hmm. orientation, because in, that's not describing me. The the descriptor avoidant is describing the environment that I learned that in. So she's avoidant. Her eyes are mm-hmm. blank. I'm not getting the loving gaze that we need as infants yeah. to build that maternal bond and to have those emotional needs met that say, I'm here, you're, you're being taken care of, I'm never going to leave you, when I leave I'm going to come back. Yep. The loving gaze teaches us that, and if I'm not getting it, I'm not learning it. Mm. And so what I do with that is I learn to be very independent, and so I did. I sat at my mother's feet. She laid on the couch and slept for hours, and I sat on the floor by her feet and played independently. My brothers played with each other. My older brother learned how to scramble an egg when he was four because he was hungry. Mm. I don't have any memory of these things, but that was how my beginning was. Mm. So I've had to learn how to live with and work through and heal that broken and kind of fractured or flawed attachment system Mm -hmm. that causes me to be more in an avoidant state and disconnect, to detach easily. Um, It contributes to my introversion. Um, makes me feel overwhelmed at times when there's something needed of me and um, I never understood that about myself I used to really think I was a bad person because I felt that way at times mm-hmm. and I realized now it was just part of what happened to me as a child and my coping mechanisms that I developed to survive that scenario and to be okay mm-hmm. um, if I'd had an environment that was where my parents, what we call ambivalent or an anxious environment, where I don't know what to expect. One day my mom's present and counted for, and the next day she's not, whether that's physically or emotionally. That creates what we call anxious or ambivalent attachment, and that person is much more likely to be insecure and anxious about relationships. If you get up and and leave the room or if I'm in an argument with you, I might think you're mad at me and you're going to leave and never come back. Um, If you don't answer a text quickly enough, yeah. I'm going to think you don't want to be my friend anymore yeah. instantly. Um, mm. There's a part of our brain in the amygdala that is designed for keeping us safe. And it is always looking for worst-case scenarios. And if I'm on a deserted road in the dark and my car breaks down, I need that part of my brain assessing for worst-case scenarios. But unfortunately, because it needs to be online all the time, it really isn't good at detecting real threat from perceived threat. Mm -hmm. So you don't answer my text and that part of the brain begins to write stories and Mm. the stories go straight to, she's mad at me. Okay. Why is she mad at me? Oh, I know what it was yesterday when she called me and I didn't do this and all the way I'm running through this and it's just making up story. And it's so quick. It literally brings in billions of bits of data in seconds and makes a story out of it. And if that story is fear-based the brain rewards it as truth. Mm-hmm. And we get to where we can't really trust that part of our brain, but we all lean into it as though it's truth. And we'll even say, my gut says, no, that's not your gut, because your gut's never f- afraid. Hmm. Your gut is certain and sure, and it's grounded in truth. And so when you, we have to learn how to be careful about believing those stories, because we've all sacrificed and sabotaged relationships, not mm-hmm. knowing how to find that truth and not knowing how to separate fact fact from fiction. And that's all a part of our broken attachment systems. Um, The third style is disoriented, and it's usually an environment where there may be addiction or abuse. Um, It's really much more overt. 
kid really does not know what to expect and actually is expecting something bad all the time. Mm-hmm. And that you get a really, really disorganized person in the way they re- react to things. Um, PTSD is really high with that mm-hmm. person. Um, but all of this is trauma. And what I realized is that attachment style dictates mm-hmm. everything we do. Everybody. It's a universal element of the human condition. There's not a human in the world that has a perfect, perfectly secure attachment system. We can move in and out of security. And when we understand this, we can move into security and stay really grounded in it. We can live most of our lives in secure attachment. Mm -hmm. But if we don't even have a knowledge that this is what we're doing, we're just going to function in the system we've got because those are the skills that got us to adulthood that helped us survive whatever that environment was. And we don't realize, and most people get into their mid-30s, early 40s before they recognize, that. It, and it usually sounds like this, there's just something that's not right. Huh. I, w- I thought I'd have a marriage and kids by now, or I haven't been able to make a relationship work, or um, if people knew this one thing about me, they wouldn't like me. There's a story that we carry about where we are, and we can't put our finger on what it is. And I will tell you 100% of the time it's your attachment orientation sabotaging the good in your life because you don't realize that's what's happening. Mm. And so as I did this work and began to realize it's universal, Mm -hmm. I realized there's an untapped market. And as I stepped into it, I realized there's a number of of therapists and authors and speakers who are doing exactly what I'm doing, who are recognizing that this is universal and they're bringing it down to the everyday person Instead of waiting until someone is really, really, really emotionally sick because of it and then labeling it attachment. It's all attachment. Um, Mm. And so I've worked with a lot of of therapist friends of mine around this, and they're just blown away. It's like they weren't taught in school to treat it as universal. Mm. And they're like, you just changed the way I'm going to do work with my clients from this point forward. I mean, it's almost like we look at the Enneagram, we look at the Myers-Briggs, we look at all these personality tests – Go to your attachment system. Yeah. Define your attachment system and you will know exactly what's going on in your life and what it is you want to see be different. So that's what I've built my practice on is this Mm -hmm. work. And um, I've developed some protocols that are really good at creating new neural pathways in the brain, which is how you heal it. And um, it works. And I've just had the best time in my life. I've, I've, curated this really amazing group of people that I've gotten to work with over the years they've all come by word of mouth from people who even either know me and trust me I'm also a a certified daring way facilitator trained in the research of Dr. Brene Brown and that's um, allowed me to have some access to some clients too that are looking to do her work Um, but mostly it's come from my clients Mm. um, or from trusted therapists I work with a I have a lot of therapists refer clients to me because I'm not a licensed therapist and my work is much more integral it's more integrated into the day-to-day and so I'm kind of immersed in their lives at times in a way that um, a license prohibits those Mm -hmm. kinds of it's a a boundary issue for a licensed therapist to do some of the one-on-one work that I get to do with clients so I often will have a therapist who has a client that's kind of stuck in this Mm -hmm. and I'll do the work in between those therapy sessions so that they can kind of get their grounding around this and then they are better able to go in the deeper work with their therapist yeah. as a result of it so have you run into because um, for me 
in my career over the last decade, there's been roadblocks and those roadblocks are a mindset issue. Like every time. Yeah. <laughs> Have you found that doing this work has propelled people to follow their career, their dream, this idea they've had? And can you share a little bit about that? I will tell you that every, some people call them limiting beliefs. I don't really think that's the best word for it, but every barrier you've ever had to doing what you've wanted to do, no matter what it was, whether it was your career or relationship, anything yeah. is grounded in your attachment orientation and, and in the, the wound that created it. Hmm. And that's unquestionable. Will it propel you into it to heal that? No, but it creates so much beautiful space for it. Hmm. You, and it will, it will take away all of those. So the way this heals is those moments when you see a vision and you know you want it, you know what you want to accomplish. And cognitively, you know you're worthy of doing this work. Cognitively, you know you have everything you need to be successful at the yeah. career you want to have but something keeps you from going there mm. and there's those things that almost belie your what you know in your brain there's behaviors you do that sabotage mm -hmm. that don't even match what you're thinking mm. that's all attachment stuff because what's happened is we've mm. we've developed beliefs about ourselves based on that attachment orientation so I come to believe that, um, well, it's a worthiness issue. And that's why yeah. Brene's work fits so well into what I do. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it, if we've come from a place of trauma, like I said with my mom, my question was, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And so I carried that, that with me for a long time. Being an eight, I, as a child, first of all, my primary co coping mechanism as a child was anger. But the truth was, I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I was scared. And I learned really early that when I got angry, I got big. And when I got big, people backed up. And then I didn't feel scared anymore. Mm -hmm. So anger was always just right under the surface. Plus, I wasn't validated. I wasn't given a voice. I was, in a, I was raised in a, an environment both religiously and familially and culturally. I grew up in the South in a fundamental independent Baptist church and my family's entire life, social life, everything revolved around church. Mm. So I was in this, I wasn't in a bubble cause I went to public schools. I had friends outside of that bubble, but I was really protected in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But also I was raised in an environment where the messaging about women's roles in the world were not sub subversive at all. They were overt Hmm. you women women god does not believe in women working outside the home that was a message i heard my whole life hmm. not only was it, it a more noble cause to be a mom and a, and a wife it was the only thing god would approve of that's how i was taught hmm. um here i am this strong girl in a neighborhood with all boys and two big brothers and no sisters and there i felt accepted and normal for who I was mm -hmm. in every other part of my life I was constantly too much mm. and the thing about the too much message is that it's exactly the same as not enough yeah because if 
if I've got a beaker full of half full of water and the enough line is right here, mm-hmm. here or here is not enough. Yep. So the story for me was you're too much. So down, sit down, shut up, be quiet. If you would just stop, don't push the buttons. Like my dad was a rager and I was the only kid in the family that ever talked back to him. My mom's message was always, you never know when to stop. It's like, uh, no, he never knew when to stop. Yeah. I'm the child here. And so, but that was the messaging that I took on. So my belief growing up was that I needed to suppress get smaller shrink Hmm. in order to be approved of and so when I reached a place where I realized if I wanted to fit into the world Mm -hmm. that's what I had to do that's what I did yeah and I wasn't living true to who I was created to be and it never felt natural and I always I always felt outside of myself so healing this work is about being connected to your highest self the part of you that knows who she is, the secure attachment that's absolutely intact. Most important thing I want people to know is you are not broken. You are not someone who needs to be fixed. Mm. You're not a car in the repair shop. Mm -hmm. You are a human being and deep within you is a secure attachment that is Mm. completely intact. It's not broken or wounded. It's buried. Mm. It's buried by all of these belief systems you took from the flawed attachment system that you adopted trying to survive the environment you were in. And all of these things came at you from every direction. Bullies, teachers, babysitters, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, siblings. You, they all told you who you were and you believed it. And you live in that. Hmm. And when you connect to that secure attachment, when you connect to that part of you that was designed to live in its truth, in my truth, my truth was designed for me. And in my truth, I am 62 years old, for one thing. (laughs) I'm loving and kind and compassionate. I can be angry, but I'm appropriately angry. Mm -hmm. I can be um, anything. I can have all emotions, Mm -hmm. but I know what to do with them, and I don't offload them onto someone else. That's what it means to be connected to your truth, to be connected to who you were created to be. That's what healing looks like, is connecting to that space. So what happens in life is we get triggered. Yeah. I'm with someone, and they say something, and it doesn't. It sounds familiar. The messaging is coming from a long time ago, and it has nothing to do with this person standing in front of me. Yes. But I am now reacting to them as though they were my primary caregiver or the person who harmed me who made me feel less than or whatever feeling I'm having in that trigger I'm no longer 62 I might be five my inner child is five years old she's scared of everything Hmm. she's scared of the closet door being open she's scared of her arm hanging off the edge of the bed she's scared of everything Hmm. or I could be rigid and judgmental and angry and if that's the case I am I think 12 or 13 Hmm. that's our inner adolescent self Hmm. the inner adolescent exists to make the inner child not feel scared anymore Hmm. so my inner adolescent was the angry one and she was much younger than an adolescent when she found her anger 
but the inner adolescence age timelines aren't the same as our real life timelines but the real life timelines teach us to understand that concept so the inner adolescent when you think about being a child I'm five mm-hmm. I'm with the same adults all the time I'm always with an adult I'm not left alone um, I go to I go in the same car with the same people to the same places I go to church I go to the grocery store I go to school whatever I'm always with an adult and then I get a little bit older and now I'm going to school but I'm dropped off there and picked up there mm-hmm. I'm still with adults all day I've got somebody watching out for me mm-hmm. but around a certain age I get to a ride my bike outside of my close vicinity to home and I realize oh there's a life out here that I can navigate by myself but I'm still not going to go too far but now I get a little bit older and I actually get a license and I can drive around town and suddenly I'm looking around and I'm realizing, oh, there's a whole world out there. Mm-hmm. And there's parts of that world that are scary, but there's a part of that world that feels a lot better than that place back there when I was really scared. Mm-hmm. And so the, the adolescent begins to imagine what it would be like to be free, to be on their own and to not have to be in the care of these adults that aren't really taking care of me and making me feel safe and and not afraid. And so I'm not really ready for that world, but I really want to be out in that world. So what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. Armor up. Hmm. So the adolescent armors up with rebellion and anger and defiance because that makes them feel tough when they get out in the world. Now, as parents, we look at that and go, whoa, 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 what's what's, 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 what's happened to my kid? Mm-hmm. They're learning to be an adult. Back mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Let them figure this out. Because what you're seeing, that behavior, mm-hmm. is their way of trying to feel safe in a world that is really scary, but they know they've got to find a way to be out there. Mm-hmm. Well, the inner adolescent's kind of the same way. It's like, i got to take care of this little five-year-old. She's so scared, and I need to get her to safety. Yeah. I'm going to have to put on some armor. And so when I find myself rigid, shutting down, or judgmental, or mm-hmm. angry inappropriately in ways that don't match the situation. That's my inner adolescent showing up going, whoa, hold on, the little kid's not safe. Let's make sure she's safe. Everybody back the F off. Yeah. And that's, that's what my inner adolescent does. Mm. So if I can stop in that trigger and go, okay, how old am I right now? Because this, this is not my adult self-talking. Yeah. And I can breathe and take a breath instead of reacting I can step back and I can respond and I can go, hmm, this is not a threat. Hmm. This isn't real. It feels like it because what happens right then is that frontal right lobe of the brain that holds your trauma hmm. activates and it's, it thinks it's living the trauma again. And that's why you're transported in time because it really is going back to the time where the yeah. trauma happened. And if I can stop and, and instigate that upper left part lobe of my brain that's cognitive, that knows better, that can differentiate yeah. truth from fiction, I can go, no, 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 baby girl. That happened, yes, but it's not happening now. You're okay. We're okay. I'm 62. I'm not in, I'm, this person's not going to harm me. They can't harm me. I'm, I can take care of myself. And it's okay. They're not trying to harm me. This isn't what I thought it was. And then I can respond differently. Yeah. And when we learn how to do that, interrupt that trigger, 
then we can be in relationship with people. Yeah. We can manage those moments and those stories. So then every time we speak truth into that fear and say, yeah, this isn't real. This isn't what re- is really happening. Mm-hmm. Here's what is really happening. Yeah. That's creating a new neural pathway. It's yeah. starting a new nut, rut in the road of the brain. Yeah. And that's what we have to do is, is now get, we have to repeat, repeat that behavior over and over and over and over again until it becomes second nature instead of this old pattern that we've been following for so long. Yes. And how, and when we do that, there's nothing stopping us from accomplishing what we want to accomplish. Yeah. The fear's gone. We now know that little girl was scared, but this adult self, I got this, yeah. I can do this. And if I stay connected to this and I stay out of scarcity, because that's what happens in the trigger. When we live in the trigger, we live in scarcity. Mm-hmm. We believe life's a piece of pie. And if you get a piece of my pie, I'm going to have one less piece of pie. And I got to hold on to that pie. Yeah. So it affects our generosity. It affects our confidence to do what we want to do. We believe we're in competition with other people. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't care how many podcasts there are in the world. <laughs> Yours can be as successful as the next one because there's plenty of room for somebody that wants what you're offering. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's not, you're not going to compete with all the podcasts in the world. You're going to compete with yourself and how you can make each one a little better than the last. How you can bring a piece of you to the world and create a safe space for people to come and have these conversations. Yeah. Doesn't matter who else is doing what. Yeah. They can be doing the same thing with the same motivation yeah. and still there's space for you. Absolutely. And that's how we have to see it. The concept of abundance and scarcity for me is abundance isn't a vending machine where we go, oh, I want this thing. I'm going to put it out in the world and pull the lever and suddenly I'm going to have it. That sounds really great, but it's just not realistic because yeah. <laughs> there's way too many people have done that and then they're devastated when it doesn't happen and they can't understand why. Abundance is knowing that there's a force bigger than us and I don't care what what how you define that for me it's god for someone else it might not be but the belief that there's something or someone conspiring on my behalf working in the background doing things that i can't do yeah that are beyond my control and beyond my ability mm-hmm. that is going to make everything fall into place whatever that everything is supposed to be for me yeah and that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And when I can live in that belief and that truth that it's all going to be okay, whether it looks like it or not, and I don't make my decisions based on, but what if it's not? Because when we go there, we start trying to control everything to yep. make it like we want it to be. Yep. And we've now taken it out of the hands of that force that could make it bigger. Mm-hmm. And because we've tried to control it ourselves mm-hmm. and we're, we're in our, we're not in our adult selves when we're doing that. Yeah. And so we're not creating what we set out to create because we're now trying to meet the needs of our inner child through this thing. And we're dooming ourselves to failure at that point because we're, we're that's not going to work. Yeah. I remember there was many, many phone calls and conversations with you over the last, I think we've known each other for about 10 years or so. I'm going to say close to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you would say, go outside, take your shoes off, stand in the grass and get grounded. And I'm like, that's not, ah, ah." (laughs) it was just so, I was losing my mind. It felt like, Mm -hmm. but it always helps to do that. And I wanted to have listeners today kind of have some takeaways. Like 
yeah that and also like what other things can we do when we are feeling triggered yeah I'm a huge huge fan of breath work hmm. we've when you're stressed in fact when my husband was in his relapse we it's the first time I ever did breath work and I was working hmm. with a therapist that that's his specialty and realized that I'd been breathing from my chest for years. I hadn't breathed from my diaphragm in forever. Now I'm breathing deeper, just like right. about the word breath. <laughs> and he, he got me my breath back into my body and back into my, my, where it belongs in that lower register. And, um, I've been doing breath work ever since I actually have a client. Um, I've worked with a lot of elite athletes. Don't ask me why it's just what happened. And I have a client who's been doing a study with for several years now with Stanford university and, and, Huberman Labs mm-hmm. um, on breath work and didn't start off that way. I think they I can't remember what they were talking about to begin with, but the work that we did took him took them in a different direction around the effect trauma has mm-hmm. on the body, um, and then they fell into this realization about nasal breathing mm-hmm. and how you know we've we've always heard breathe through your mouth. I mean, through, breathe in through your nose, exhale through your mouth. Yeah. Nope. We should be hmm. nasal breathing all the time. And he's this study is remarkable. And he has a um, an app called State Breathing. And I'd be happy to link it up in your in your show notes. Yeah. Um, because it will teach you how to change your whole everything about your body and the way it functions. Mm-hmm. And both emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of it through breath work. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a sleeping breath and alertness breath and a, or exercise and another one, um, um, relaxation Mm -hmm. and, but you can use, you can tweak them and use them and it adapts to you Mm -hmm. and grows. The app grows with you based on where you want to go and where your body goes in it. And it's pretty remarkable. That's been life changing for me to use that. Mm -hmm. Um, the ground, yeah, the grounding sometimes go, (sighs) yes. Almost like a, a, a wake apnea. Yeah, <laughs> always. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. I'm like, I forgot to breathe. For yes, five minutes, so I'm the same way. I'm a breath holder. Yeah, me too. So, um, and the grounding thing, you know, the the earth has a gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. And there really is truly something grounding about getting your bare feet in the, in the earth. Also, your hands in the dirt. My husband's a gardener. My mom and too. he grounds by going outside and we call it playing in the dirt and gets his hands dirty and sits on the ground and, and it, it's life changing for him in that moment. So anytime, but even if you can't get to, to raw earth, just take your shoes off and feel the floor and, or even sitting at your desk, put your feet flat on the floor and let every point of your, of your sole of your feet touch the floor, press your toes so that the very upper arch of your toe is touching ground mm-hmm. and just breathe. There's box breathing and square breathing. You can YouTube videos on that too, mm-hmm. which is what the state breathing is kind of based on. And um, those, when you do that breathing and that grounding at the same time, you will literally feel your body get heavy, like it's pulling. Mm-hmm. And it's really all you need to get kind of clear and settled and ready. I, I use it in the mornings, especially if I don't mm-hmm. sleep well or... Um, or if I've got a lot on my mind, any kind of stress or anxiety, I'll use it to kind of ground me. Um, but yeah, those are really, really awesome tools for that. And so when you're triggered, that breathing 
is awesome because you can do it and nobody even notices. I had to have a really difficult conversation one time that I just, I, I can't even t- I tell you what it took to just walk in the room and have it. And I had just learned square breathing right before that. Interesting. And that's what got me through. I would, I, my heart would stop pounding and I'd feel my breath coming up in my chest and I'd think I am going to lose it. And I couldn't, it was a life and death situation. And I would, when I felt that happening, I'd just start the square breathing and I'd feel my blood pressure lower. My heart rate would come down, ah. stop pounding in my chest. Mm. And now I am implemented all the time in any kind of, of moment when I just feel like I'm kind of outside of my body. Yeah. I'll bring it in through breath because that is exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Wow. I'm just processing all of this. I read that book. Oh gosh, what's the book called? Attachment. Is it the one that's got the red heart, the carabiner heart on the front? It's just attachment. (laughs) And it's a, it's a good book for relationships. Um, it's not a very thorough book about attachment, Mm. um, styles. Diane Poole Heller, um, has a test you can take to see what your attachment is. Um, and she's, she just came out with a, with a book that's really, really good. She had a book that was like a textbook. It was literally like two and a half inches thick. Mm-hmm. And when it was when it needed to be updated, it was such a a big task that she decided to just do a yeah. workshop instead and record it. So there's an audible out there of this seven hour workshop. But then she came out with this new book, and it's much more palatable to the everyday person. Yeah. And so I can't think of the name of it, but I'll I'll get it I'll for your it notes. notes. Mm-hmm. I have all these show notes in my mind. Yeah. What about I want to talk about? And I'm writing a book. So hopefully in a couple of years, we'll have mine out there. I've been waiting for this book. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of women, you know, it's, it is fear of failure, fear Mm -hmm. of starting something. Yep. But you know what? I'm going to be the first to say, I have a fear of success Mm -hmm. more than I, I think I do of failure because of my current state. Um, I know how to operate in that state and that's a good you know I'm, I feel like I'm in the healthiest place I've ever been in my life I have kind of my ducks in a row I have built something amazing that I love but like moving into the next phase that I feel called into it's terrifying to me yeah because now this pretty box that I've made which is really great is no longer going to work for this next step and I think there is that fear. And so where does that come? How does that What's the story? From? I think, well, oh, therapy session. For me, it comes from that I'm not good enough to get this thing. For wherever, for whatever reason. This last six months or so, I finally realized what was happening and I'm working on my mindset of the, the scarcity. Mm-hmm. And also I am valuable enough. Hey guys, it's your girl Carly. I'm here to tell you about the coolest flower delivery service that exists. It's my sister company, Primary Petals. You may have heard of Primary Petals before, but did you know that we are going nationwide? It's an amazing service that sends really cool and unique flowers to anyone's doorstep in the lower 48. Guys. 
We have sent to every state and every bouquet has arrived so beautiful and so fresh, which if you know, is no small feat for shipping flowers. For my listeners, I'm giving 10% off using code BOSSYCLASS at checkout. If you want to learn more, please visit primarypetals.com. So what would you need to believe? What needs to be in place for you to be and be good enough to have it, to be worthy of it? Honestly, I don't think. Mm. Get out of your cognitive brain because it has an answer. But what's really, where is it really coming from? I think for me, I need to just say yes and say, okay. What would happen if you got it? It would be the biggest gift of my life. What would screw it up? Nothing. What do you think would screw it up that makes you not want to do it? Is it what someone would think, someone would say? I think sometimes it comes to, I don't think I'm ready for it. And so, Peter Principle? Mm-hmm. Like, if I do this, what if I don't have all my ducks that lined up like I think I do? And I implode. Yeah. And then I have to start over. So here's probably the greatest lesson I'm still learning. I was one of those people that as soon as something got hard, I quit. Hmm. And I I realized a few years ago that I always saw failure as a period, not a comma. Hmm. And no one who's highly successful, everyone, you if you anyone you ever meet, the the Bill Gates of the world's world, the Steve Jobs, will tell you Failure fell off of them like water off a duck's back. They did not see it as a stopping point ever or even a pause. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's part of it. Okay, that didn't work. What's next? I didn't have that mindset. I still struggle with having that mindset. Mm -hmm. And I'm more likely to not do something if I think I'll fail at it. Hmm. And one of my biggest barriers that I have to work at is never starting or needing to line up too many ducks before I start, which is all built out of the same belief that if it doesn't work, I'm a failure. It's on me. It's on me. And, or I'm going to be embarrassed or humiliated or people are going to know I failed. And the truth is I'm going to fail. I need to fail. We all need to become really comfortable with failure. Mm -hmm. And if you could just fail your way all the way to it, Mm -hmm. then you'd make your way through that story that says, I'm not good enough or it's, I'm not going to be, I can't sustain it. Yeah. I can get there, but I don't think I have what it takes to sustain it. Cause by the time you get there, you will have had time to learn what it takes to sustain it. And maybe the failures would be how you learned it. Yeah. And that goes back to what I was saying about starting my practice that I didn't even realize at the time how brilliant it was to just, dive in and I'd never done that before yeah. I was always at well I need to do this I need to do that I need to get to this and that and the other yeah. and then I didn't do that and as a result it just kept unfolding and unfolding and as it did I found out I had the tools I needed to do those things I didn't have them when I started yeah. and so 
it, it may be that that's the messaging is that mm-hmm. I, I should I should know without a doubt that it will work mm-hmm. before I start. And the truth is, we can't know that no. because there's so much unseen yep. and un, that's unpredictable. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes so much sense. Yeah, I've always been the type of person that says, let's just start building and mm-hmm. throw paint at the wall and see, oh, that's a really pretty art piece. Um, but I know most women, and this is more geared towards women, I know there's going to be men listening and that's amazing. Um, but yeah, it is. It's sort of like, I get these questions a lot. How are, how do you, how are you so successful? I'm like, honey, I just started. I just did what I thought was the next right step. And well, then and you've just, had some failures. I've had some failures, exactly. Mm-hmm. Big ones. But you got back up. Yeah. And and that's the thing. And I think your next failure, you'll get up even faster. Yeah. And because now you know you can. Yeah. And that's, you asked how, it's all creating new neural pathways. It's yeah. the only way. Well, it seems and these stories, are, yeah, and these stories are all just neural pathways that are going down the wrong path. Yeah. And each time you survive one and shift one you create a new one an opportunity for a new one but it's repetition it's just go try keep throwing crap at the wall and keep trying and then when that falls and it doesn't stick then okay well that didn't work but don't let a year pass before you jump up and do the next thing and that's how we do it because you're going to create your I always say it's about reframing the story to what is true so if the story is I don't have what it takes to to sustain it I know how to get there Mm -hmm. but I'm afraid if I get there then then what like what if I don't know what to do next or what if I don't know how to make it go bigger Um, what if you've reframed that to okay I know I don't have it right now but I have it for this part and so my truth is that I know I have this I can do this part And so I'm just going to do this part until the answer is no. And so it may be that this isn't going to get me where I want to go, but it's going to get me somewhere Mm -hmm. where I'll learn something that's going to help me get where I want to go. And if I don't do any of it at all, I'm not going to get anywhere. And that speaking that truth to the story takes the power out of the story Hmm. and begins that new pathway. Hmm. And, And then you just keep reiterating that. It's really important for people, especially if you're a goal setter and a writer, mm-hmm. like I'm not. But if you're someone who, who sits down and plans your day and plans your goals for the year and that kind of thing, yeah. and you're recognizing the importance of the repetitiveness of it, put it on a piece of paper. When it comes to mind and you're like, okay, this is my truth about this. I may not have everything to make it sustainable, but I know how to build it, and I'm going to build it. Write that somewhere and put it on every mirror so that you're reading it over and over and over again because the repetition of it pushes back against that trauma story that says, yeah, but. Yep. And then every time you're like, oh, no, see, that's my truth, not the yeah, but. The yeah, but's the fear. Yeah. The yeah, but's the trauma. The yeah, but is the history. It's the messaging. It's the belief system that's not true. Mm-hmm. What's true is I've got what it takes to do this part. I don't have to know that part later. Stop. Leave me alone. That's not yep. where we're going. We're right here right now. We're doing this part. Yep. And you just keep pushing that. And it, it, this other part will begin to lose its power just like with anything, anything you learn that you're unlearning something else, eventually what you're unlearning stops being an interrupter. 
you eventually go, oh, gosh, I forgot I ever even thought that way. That's what you're trying to do with all of this. And it's that simple. Simple's not easy. They don't equate as easy. They don't equate that way, but it is simple. Does that also apply to, and I'm thinking your answer is yes, but I want to hear your answer. Um, Does that also apply to when you have those voices, those actual haters and doubters in in your, you know, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it is your sister, maybe it's a friend or someone external. Does that also help with kind of rerouting the brain? Absolutely. This is the this is the quote I give the mantra I give my clients. That's your story, not my truth. Hmm. That's their story, not my truth. They don't know me. They're not inside here. They don't. Even if they do, they don't get to decide who I am or what I'm going to do with my life. And if I know who I am and I'm connected to that part of me, that's all that matters. It's here's the thing: we are hardwired to care what other people think. And the moment you say, I don't care what anybody thinks, you are not connected to your adult self. You have now detached and you're in your adolescence and you're going, leave me the F alone, I've got this. Because you're scared of that person. In your, in your truth, you will care because you're human. And you can't turn that caring off without turning all your caring off. And so when you stand in your truth, you realize, I do care what they think. I care more what I know. Hmm. And when I let what I know be what guides me rather than what they think, Mm -hmm. then I put it into perspective. It hurts that they don't want to support me. It hurts that they can't see this. But I can't let that be my deciding factor because it's not aligned with what's in here. Mm -hmm. It's not aligned with what I know I'm called to do. And I have to lean into that. We, the whole point of the secure attachment is that, that is where we know who we are. Mm-hmm. And if I know who I am, I will know how to make decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not attached to that part of me, I will let everybody else's opinion affect how I feel, steal my energy, hijack my brain, mm-hmm. all of it. And then I won't stay in my adult self and accomplish what I want to. I will let them take me out. So... The other part of this is remembering it's universal. That's their little kid coming after your little kid. Hmm. Hmm. And now you're two kids on a playground. <laughs> and she's the mean girl or you're the mean girl or you're scared or whatever. Hmm. And you're reacting to their inner child. Their, th- their inner child is threatened by your adult self. Because maybe... It is your sister. She's known you your whole life. Wait, you're going to be more successful than me? I'm not ready for that. I don't want to see that. That scares me. makes me feel less about myself. That makes me think you're running off and leaving me behind. That makes me think all these things. Her little girl inside of her is reacting. And if we react to that child with anything other than adult compassion and love, then we're in our inner child. Mm. So if I can look at that person that I care about and say, oh, they're just scared for me. And I can, in my generosity, wrap them up in my arms like I would any child I love and say, I'm never going to leave you behind. Mm. And I want you to be happy for me, but I promise it's not going to be at the cost of what you can have. We can both have what we want, and I'll take you with me. Um, or maybe you can't even have that conversation with them, but you can have it within yourself 
I'm a big fan of what I call em- what we call empty chair work, mm. where you put a chair in front of you and you put someone in that chair, maybe even use a picture of them so you can <laughs> keep it straight, and you say things to them that you know you can't actually say to them in real life. Um, and then when you're done, if it feels like they have an answer, you get in that chair and let them respond to you, and you go back and forth until you process through the feelings that you have about something. So sometimes you may need to do that because you can't actually say it to them. But by looking at them with compassion and going, oh, she's just scared. She's not trying to be mean. She's just scared. Then it loses its power. They're no longer a hater. Mm -hmm. They're someone you have compassion for. Mm -hmm. And not a condescending, but, uh, oh, I know what that feels like. And, of course, she's reacting that way. And I don't have to compete with that. I don't have to fix that. I'm not responsible for how she feels. But I can treat her with such dignity and compassion that it makes her think, mm, maybe there's more to this than I thought. Yeah. Or not. Maybe she's not capable of that. I posted something on Instagram yesterday about the fact that we forget how unhealthy most people are. Most mm-hmm. people do not have a high emotional intelligence. And that's the work that I'm doing with my clients is I'm trying to raise their EQs to give them more emotional wellness, more connected connection to that deeper part of themselves. And but most people aren't doing this work. Yeah. And you have to remember that they're triggered. Yeah. And, and the if they're triggering you, then you got two little kids fighting. Yeah. And the farther you're along on that journey, you can mm-hmm. be able to see what actually is happening. Yes. Um but it, you know, it feels sometimes lonely when you are going through it because you may not feel understood by the people closest to you. Yep. And it may shift relationships slightly or significantly yes. as you step into this. But I know my journey has been so... I, I wouldn't take back any failure, any issue in my family or any trauma to get to this place now. Yeah. I am so grateful for the work that I yes. have put in but also continue to, because I always look at it as, like you said in the beginning, always learning, always mm-hmm. developing, building those neural pathways. But it has, there was a significant shift after a long time of working through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Felt like a broken record, and then one day I was like, oh, I understand now. Yeah. This is what's going on. This is, I'm triggered right now. Yep. And it's helped my complex a lot to just say, I was triggered. Yep. What you said had literally wasn't even rude. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just heard something different. Yeah. And I'll tell you that circle back, Brene Brown talks about this, the power of the circle back. When you can go back after the fact and say, yeah. you know what, I'm not proud of the way I responded in that situation. I'd really like a do-over. Yeah. The bond that you can build in that moment can yeah. be deeper than if that had never happened. Absolutely. The repair can be stronger than before the break. And it's crucial that we be able to do that. And the other part around interrupting those triggers in that moment when you're in the conflict with someone, if you can if you can see that you're triggered and you can take that step back and take that breath, mm-hmm. then you can say, you know, yeah. the story I'm telling myself is. Yeah. And then they can go, oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. Good, that's what I just needed to say it out right. loud. Now I know we're good. I like and that completely language. avoid it. Because when we just go right to what we think is happening, we usually can't trust that. We can't when we're triggered. And then we've damaged, we've created the damage. 
and we again we can always go clean that up but also over time when we when you're in long-term relationship the goal is to get to the place that you can interrupt your triggers before the damage is done yeah and um and work together Mm. toward a solution we've we've had conflict in our staff too and it's Mm -hmm. moments like that of oh let's let's pause yeah and we really emphasize um our ethos of the companies that i lead is emotional health yeah because i could not lead without my emotional health intact right and you know we have staff that takes you know an hour and goes to therapy and we honor that Mm -hmm. because we want to be a staff that can grow something yes as opposed to i mean you hear so many really cool startups or instagram people and and then you get behind the scenes and go how's it working there well the ceo is just right so unhealthy and Mm -hmm. whatever and i hate my job and and so i think that this is not only important for personal life but our being a leader and being somebody that's stepping into this dream of whatever it is yeah it's so valuable to to become a whole person yes (laughs) but it takes work and and um but it's, gosh, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I'm having a great time now. I'll tell you what, <laughs> organizational health is such a huge thing to me. Mm-hmm. And there's more and more. In fact, that's really where Brene has put her focus in the last year or two. Yeah. Is in organization, organizational health. And Dare to Lead was what came out of that, her, her most recent book. And the companies that I know that lead in that way are they're unstoppable. I mean, it really does make a huge difference because you're investing in your people and you're investing in the community that you're creating. And we the reason we get into these jams that I've been describing is because we replicate our family of origin everywhere we go. Yes. We do it at work, we do it in our relationships, we do it in friendship. And being able to recognize the roles that we've taken on and are playing out mm-hmm. and and cut those off and instead show up as our adult selves and be able to resolve conflict in a healthy way and encourage therapy and that kind of thing is a game changer in a company. Yes. I, I've only worked for one that was even remotely close to having that, and it still had a long way to go, but at least it valued it. Yeah. And um, I just I think it's the future of, of business, to be honest. Yes. That is, yeah. More, more health in business, everyone, please. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what can we expect from, from you in this coming up year in 2020? Well, um, I have a dear friend, Kristen Howerton, who has a podcast called The Selfie Podcast. It's about self-care. I've heard of it. And I'm going to be doing a segment on her show every week, um, starting, I think, next week. Cool. Um, and she's adding some new little elements to it, and she asked me to be the visiting therapist again. I'm pretty clear about the fact that I'm not a licensed therapist. but Air, I, air quotes. I definitely, what I do is definitely therapeutic, and I am qualified to do what I do. So um, I... Uh, I'm excited about that. Sounds so fun. Um, to to that. I'm looking forward to doing. I'm gonna. I'm continuing to write my book, and I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm hoping to do some retreats and different things this year. There's several things coming my way that I'm just really excited about, and they haven't. I don't know yet exactly what form they're going to take, um, but my word for the year is inviting, and I'm just inviting in. Mm. Um, 
growth and developing my platform a little bit more, just having a little bit more exposure and um, whatever else might come. It's all, my, my door is open oh for gosh. it and I'm excited. I just, I look on your Instagram every day just to see what you're up to and what you're posting. And I'm just really excited for everything ahead for you. Well, look, there's going to be some original content coming. I am going to start doing some either Instagram live or some videos on my stories. I'm not sure yet. Right now I've been reposting and kind of adding my content to some of the, the accounts that I love to follow. There's some really amazing therapeutic accounts on Instagram and social I will social media for good. And, and let me just tell you, social media is as authentic as you are. Hmm. If you bring your truth to it, it will be real. And if you don't, it won't. And that does not mean you air your dirty laundry because you don't do that in the real world either. Just because you don't tell all your horrible truths doesn't mean you're being fake. And I'm real tired of people talking about it that way. The truth is you come there with boundaries, just like you do in life. Yep. And you bring to that not what you want people to see, but who you want people to know. And people have to earn the right to hear our story. So don't tell a story that the whole world hasn't earned the right to hear. But there may be a part of that story you can share to create a moment where someone says, oh my God, that's me. And that's beautiful. So with some discernment and some boundaries, it can be really an amazing place to be. I'm a huge proponent of social media. Mm. And I think we just need to learn how to use it well because the people who are using it well are changing and saving lives. And I'm not, I don't say that frivolously. It really and truly is happening. Mm -hmm. And that's my desire. I had a client last week, we were talking about it on our call last night, a week ago. um, She was telling me her intentions for the new year. And the last thing she said was, I want, my desire this year is that when someone encounters me, they walk away better because of it. Hmm. And I was like, oh my. That's so good. If all of us just said that, yeah. if we all just had that agenda every time we got up and put our feet on the floor and left our home, yeah. that if every person we encountered was hmm. better when they walked away from us because they were in our presence, what would it take? What, what do I need to bring? Hmm to the world in order to provide that. And that's my desire mm. with social media and with everything else in my life. That's, that's what I hope to bring. So awesome, PJ. Thank you. You ready for some lightning round stuff? Sure. Which is so fun. What time do you wake up in the morning? 5.25. Five tw- wow, okay. <laughs> I have an alarm set for 5.25. I snooze a couple of times. You do, okay. Um, because I'm not a morning person, but I love the mornings. It's pretty been, bold for 525 then. I've been getting up that early for a, a little over a decade. Mm. And I'm still not a morning person, but I still <laughs> love the mornings. And my day goes so differently when I do that. Totally I noticed agree. you recently started doing it. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. It changed everything for me. Everything. Same. And, but I do wake up slowly. I'm not... I'm not fit for consumption until about an hour and a half in. <laughs> so I, I get up quietly and I make my coffee and I go back and sit in my bed and um, I drink my my latte that I make at home. Yeah, and, that, was uh, the, that was the other question. Yeah. So, and then I, um, and that's my quiet time. I, I, whatever my quiet time might be in any given day, I spend a little time just being still and listening and, um, praying for me 
uh, meditating at times and grounding. Um, and then I transition into figuring out what's going on in the world a little bit and uh, as much as I can tolerate and pick and choose what I dive deep into, but I want to know what's happening in every aspect of the world. Um, and then kind of I check my emails and go into my social media for a minute or two. And then I start my day, three days a week. My practice is only Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so, so many goals. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have a four-day weekend every week, oh. kind of. I still do some stuff. But Monday's my self-care day. It's my day. I, do, I get to choose. Um, Fridays, I usually do a little bit more administrative stuff. Um, but um, I start at 7 a.m. on Tuesday and Thursday. I have a client in Germany and a... Um, I have a number of New York clients, East Coast clients. Mm -hmm. So um, I start really early. Actually, I start at 7 every morning, but on Wednesdays it's every other week. And um, and I go on Tuesdays, I go till 6 o'clock. On Thursdays, I go till 7. And um, those are my heaviest days. And, um, yeah, that's how I start my day. That's awesome. What's, what's in your latte? I have to know. Non-fat milk, nothing else. Wow. You know, I don't like sugar in my in my coffee. I love the taste of coffee so much. I literally sometimes <laughs> lie down in bed at night and think, "Ooh, I get to have coffee in the morning." I do. Well, I do matcha because I can't mm-hmm. do it's too much. I know matcha has caffeine, but I have tried the coffee thing on and off, and tea and and, co- and uh, matcha are like the thing. The thing that can keep me pretty level emotionally. Right. <laughs> See, I have one latte in the morning. I happen to know that I'm getting about 140 milligrams of caffeine, and that's the only caffeine I have all day. Mm-hmm. And if I do indulge for any reason in more than just maybe 70, 80 more milligrams too late in the day, it affects my sleep because mm-hmm. my body's just so adapted to only having so much. Yeah, Up to 250 milligrams is actually really good for your central nervous system. So I'm good with that. I don't depend on it. I can get up and skip it, and I'm okay. I don't get a headache. So I think there's some real value to being precise with routines and and the way your body... Our bodies are very adaptable, and they love routine. Mm -hmm. Um, And they tend to adapt really well and stay adapted Mm -hmm. in a healthy way when we give them the same thing at the same time every day. Mm -hmm. So that's the one, probably the most constant thing in my life is that 6 a.m. latte. You and and latte. (laughs) Have you... um... Ooh, I added another one and I had to look at it. How do you decompress after a busy day? Oh, that depends. Most of the time, though, it's nothing. I can't yeah. talk. I have no words left. My my work is not draining in that I don't, I don't, it doesn't burn me out at all, ever. Mm-hmm. I'm just, there's just an emotional letdown at the end of it. Yeah. I'm good until I'm done. And then it's like, for about half an hour... I'm a little pumped yeah. sometimes, um, depending on the last client I spoke with and where they are. If it was pretty heavy, I might not be. But most of the time, I'm pretty I'm kind of pumped for a few minutes, and then I just fall flat. Mm-hmm. So those are the nights I, I watch TV because <laughs> um, I can't read. I don't have the brain power to take anything in, that. so I really do just kind of check out. Sometimes I'll just sit really quietly if I've had a heavy day or if there's a lot happening with one of my, with some of my clients, I don't typically have that, but sometimes I do. I'll just sit really quietly. David's gone Tuesday and 
Thursday nights when I, on my longest days, which is awesome. He works and he doesn't get in until almost 10. So I, I just kind of, it gives me the time to completely decompress and, and I give myself permission to let it be whatever it needs to be. Yeah. I love that. Permission to be whatever it needs to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I give myself permission for a lot. I have little no- post-it notes with my logo mm-hmm. on them that say I give myself permission to. We should all give ourselves permission because those stories and beliefs we carry are constantly trying to tell us what we should and shouldn't do. And shoulds always mess us up. And I can say, I give myself permission to not listen to you right now. (laughs) Go back into your bedroom, Mm -hmm. five-year-old. Where can people find you, learn more about you, and the resources that you have to offer? The easiest thing is find me on Instagram. I don't have a website. And... Um, just haven't ever taken the time to do one and I haven't so far needed one. I'm sure I will when the book comes out, but, um, you can reach me through there. I've got contact buttons on my account and it's just BJ Hickman. Um, all one word, no special characters. Um, that's where I'm most active and where I, you know, that is kind of my platform. Mm-hmm. I'm on other social medias, but that's the one that I really do spend most of my time on. And um, it's the easiest way to reach me. A lot of people private message me on there to reach out for help. Um, yeah, awesome. you can also put my number and email address in the show notes. I don't mind if you okay. want to do that. <laughs> wow. And what I do is, I should say this, I do all my work by phone. So I'm not limited to where you are. Yeah. And um, I give a free 50-minute consultation by phone to anyone who's interested so they can see if it's something that works for them. Um, and so I'm all about just meeting people where they are and because the work's so integrative, we really just kind of look at what's going on in your life today Mm -hmm. and how is your attachment style affecting it or interrupting it in ways that aren't helpful to you and how can we learn new skills around that? Oh my gosh. And so, um, I usually start my calls with, so how was your week? And then we go from there and it's pretty fun i i talking with you so is much. is one of my favorite things just lock into it thank you so okay well thank you so much for being here thank it's you such an for honor me. for you to make space for me and our listeners so thanks bj thank you kayla carly This podcast is edited and published by the Primary Pedal Studios, written and hosted by Carly Ray Williams. Show notes are located at our website, carlyrayweddings.com forward slash bossy class. If you like what you heard today, subscribe, rate and review us. Sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and bonus episodes. Thanks for joining us as we scale the mountain of success. This is Bossy Class.